Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. Today, we're reviewing the 2019 film that was nominated for an Oscar for Best Cinematography in the 2020 Oscars year. And it's the black and white film, The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers. So, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Yes. Two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity whilst living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. (laughs) All right. So what was your summary for this unique film? (laughs) My summary is proof that humans really aren't made for isolation. (laughs) Yes. And very fitting for our current pandemic times as well. Gosh. Yeah, I also wrote down that this was the perfect movie for watching during quarantine. So. Yes, <laughs> I jotted that down as well. There are so many movies that we're reviewing during this quarantine time, Sarah, that I feel like are so so perfect for the current time and so surprisingly perfect as well. Like we reviewed the platform and we also commented like, wow, this is really relevant for right now. Did not expect that. Yeah, I do also wonder, though, if it's because it's our current circumstance. Mm -hmm. So we're like filtering everything through it. And so anytime (laughs) we see like a connection, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is so relevant. Yes, this is this is (laughs) proof that our experiences truly shape the lens we view everything. Yes, (laughs) yes, they do. All right. So my summary for this film was the coastal edition of what happens when you have an annoying boss. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's start off with initial thoughts of this film. What did you think? Uh, (laughs) This is one of those, like, there are certain movies where it ends and you're just like, oh, okay, that was a thing. And then you just kind of, like, move about your day. Um, This wasn't (laughs) one of those. Um, When the movie ended, I just kind of sat on my couch and was like, what in the whole hell did I just watch? Um, (laughs) I, I, I really loved a lot of it. I, I was just so overwhelmed and so confused and so disoriented by the film as a whole that I, I kind of struggled to process it once it was over. So I've been really looking forward to us recording this because um, I'll probably grow in my appreciation for it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just in awe of the technical feat that Mm -hmm. this film was because um man so much went into this and so much creativity was poured into this and it really influenced how I responded to it so I Mm -hmm. think I think it really is a cinematic masterpiece even though it's an absolutely bonkers film um (laughs) so there there's a lot for us to discuss and dive into about this one for sure Yes, I think today's episode will be one of those episodes, very Mm -hmm. Tully-esque. That's, I think, our infamous first experience on the podcast with really getting to unpack a film and uncover all of its gems and really understanding it more. Like, beginning of the episode was like, what the heck just happened? End of the episode was like, wow, this is really beautiful and powerful and night and day difference in our journey there. Um, I had a similar thought. This, there's so much to ruminate on. I, I kept waiting for for more to happen or for more understanding to in, just just wash over me as the film would end. And um, I still had so many questions. And I found this wonderful quote from Robert Eggers, the director, and he says, "I'm more about questions than answers in this movie," which I think is. Is very very perfect for um, this film. While in quarantine, I'm I'm home in PA, so I got a chance to watch this with my dad. And um, the film ended, and he went, "What is this film trying to say?" Like, I think I'm gonna need more time to think about it. But uh, that's often the most interesting discussions that we have that arise from those types of movies, where it's it's really not clear, and it kind of uh, the film gives you a buffet of things to think about and trains of thought to follow and we're just we're left on some sort of journey to somewhere and we all might end up in different (laughs) places so I I too am very excited about this film I think it's um it's great evidence that you take a modest budget with some 
really incredible acting ability and um, a lot of creativity and you can really do so, so much with this. Um, there's there's so many incredible shots. I mean, we, we probably will definitely talk about the cinematography in this film um, and the filmmaking choices, but I think there's so many um, themes and the characters and their dynamics that is also just as rich to uncover. So excited to go on this journey with you, Sarah. <laughs> yes, as am I. And I, I definitely wrote down also, like, I'm left with more questions than answers. Um, <laughs> because I, I went through the similar process of while watching, thinking, okay, at some point, there's going to be something that tells us what this whole thing is about. We're going to get some <laughs> sort of answers about what's going on here. And mm -hmm. nope, we got none. And I think that's, that's a really interesting creative choice. And I'm also, I don't know, kind of excited that we're seeing more films like this, where mm. they explore a whole bunch of different themes in a really, really creative way. But it doesn't really end with a, like, this is what you need to think. It, it really empowers the viewer to take what they want from it and leave the rest. And just the fact that we went on this journey with these characters is important enough. We don't really need to, I don't know, have like a, a specific moral or um, like a specific thing that we're taking away from it. Mm -hmm. and I don't know. That's really fun. It is fun because there's, it's like, there's so many literal shades of gray, um, in this film for us to, to unpack and interpret. I mean, you're, I'm excited to hear your interpretation of this film because I predict that how you interpret it and how I interpret it and my dad and the other viewers is probably so vastly different, um, compared to other films. I just finished watching, uh, the third Lord of the Rings, and it's very clear what the moral of the story is and um, what the lessons learned are at the end of that film. So um, these types of films are the, the most fun to talk about. And it's so interesting to me that a film like this can be made. Mm -hmm. uh, this, I mean, really, sh this should not exist. Um, <laughs> like, what, what a crazy pitch that was. Like, I want to make a movie about these two light keepers going nuts in the 1890s and I want to shoot it on old film. It's in black and white. It has this weird aspect ratio so it's almost completely square. I want to mm -hmm. mix the sound a certain way so it's even more uncomfortable. I, you know, like it it's such a bold creative vision and there's such a small like market share for people who would like this film. Um, it, it's amazing that this exists. And yeah. I'm really happy that somebody took a risk on it. But wow, I, I'm just, I'm amazed that this was created. A24 man is just yes. making sure that we have some real gems to hold on to in this, in this day and age. Yeah, I got so excited when I saw A24. <laughs> yep. Yes, it's this like, is going to be great. It's just like, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. That's in line. <laughs> I, I I definitely felt that uh, that desire for there to be more from this film, um, which is probably just because of the way that uh, I've been conditioned to understand stories and to watch movies in our landscape today because I kept waiting for there to be this larger mystery or for this body to be found that then points to some mysterious past about one of the characters or about this lighthouse and for it to be haunted or for there to be something to um for the character the, the main characters to unfold and dive deeper into and it never comes uh where i think it, it was at the like one hour and a half mark and my dad come turns to me and comments like so what is the main mystery have we even gotten there yet or and I was like I think there might not be one actually it's just really seeing spending time with these two characters and seeing their their inner natures come out in different ways and that is the film I mean really from a plot perspective the IMDb summary is probably like has summed it up perfectly which is just that we watch them go insane and that's it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's like that. That's an. It was initially uncomfortable. I found myself desiring for more, but I think it's a lot more effective. Um, it gets us to think and work harder without all of the extra dramatic flair. Yeah, and it it didn't require some external force. Also, so this allowed us to just focus on these two main characters and their story without any other frills. Mm-hmm. which i think if the if the if the writing had hadn't been as good as it was and the performances of willem dafoe and robert pattinson hadn't been as strong as they were this movie would not have worked at all cuz it mm-hmm. it really relied on those two being able to take the the source material and actually bring it to life in a really compelling way um otherwise we would have just been aimlessly wandering through a movie and Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been gripping or exciting and we probably wouldn't have pushed through to the end yeah i think that's so that's so accurate and the the source of tension really comes from us not knowing how they will respond next and the the twists and turns of this roller coaster ride isn't isn't necessarily on the plot, but it's on their mood swings and mm-hmm. the constant like swinging back and forth in their relationship between trying to survive together and them dancing together and that, that <laughs> real tenderness and intimacy and then them violently uh, fighting each other or um, even in, in the course of a second, that mood can switch so quickly. So you're kind of as if you were on edge to to see a, Oh God, where are we going? It's like a roller coaster ride. Like it looks like we're going this direction, but we've been whipped to a completely different um, mood. And I think that served to push the plot forward because really the plot is just them another day working, another day drinking, another day eating, um, maybe discovering something funky on the coastline. But oh, that was actually a hallucination. So um, <laughs> that's a tricky thing to do and make it still interesting and exciting for an almost two hours. And you see their, their desire for survival. So like, I, I liked how in the beginning it was set up, you know, we're here, we're here for four weeks, that's our stint. And then we're done. And so like at at the beginning, they set you up with, okay, this is what is expected. So, you know, okay, over the course of this movie, this is going to go completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how, that was set up in the beginning, but then um, they start to mess with time. And mm-hmm. um, Willem Dafoe is telling Robert Pattinson that it's been, you know, days and weeks. And Robert Pattinson's like, no, it's been like a day. And mm-hmm. so how how they are discombobulated and disoriented. And we as the viewers also lose track of time. And we can't, we can no longer tell how long they've been on this island. So we kind of follow the same pattern that Robert Pattinson's character is following as he gets, you know, swept up Mm. in the events of the island. Mm -hmm. So even that was really, really intentional how, how we know that they are just trying to survive, but we don't know for how much longer they have to survive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And that moment comes, I think squarely about in the halfway point of this movie. Um, and the the honestly the first hour is is really them just doing life together. Not that much happens, and there mm-hmm. aren't as many like escalations in um, the relationship. But you you from the soundtrack, from just the context and the the cinematography, like there's this impending doom. And I, I appreciate that the film gives us that full hour to let that simmer and build and really. Um, that pressure begin to mount. And I, I feel like when we hit that mark where we feel we, as Robert Pattinson too, think that we're going to get off the Island in the next day. And you realize that, nope, we're going to be here for a while that I think it, it serves as this marker of like things shit's about to go down and it's about yeah. to get real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was such a fun moment for me of like, okay, okay. Yep okay, we're supposed to leave tomorrow. We're not going to leave tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Get ready. It's going to get crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and it sure did. Oh my gosh. It was like a little bit weird in the beginning, but man, that last half was just, I don't know. It was wild. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of mother in that pacing because it, it gives us plenty of time to anticipate that when it finally begins to explode, um, it's thrilling and it, it feels effective and powerful and impactful versus I think that if they had spent maybe the first half an hour, the first third of the film, just letting it simmer. And if they had ex begun to explode too early, like we would have felt the exhaustion of it by mm -hmm. the, the final act and just like, all right, like I get it. Let's wrap this up now. It's, it's too much that that volume is is too high for too long um so it was a very smart choice for them to let that simmer and just slowly begin to build for a full full hour before things start to spiral yeah you're right like the 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 balance of this film is spot on like mm -hmm. the um robert eggers and his brother like really understood like what we as an audience would need and when we would need it. And so that we were, we were uncomfortable and we were confused, but we weren't disengaged and mm -hmm. we weren't like longing for it to be over. So we weren't leaning out of the film, but we were leaning in to try and learn more and figure out how this is going to be resolved. And that balance really played a big role in that. Yeah, and I but you mentioned a really good point, which is that enough small, strange things occur in that first hour to to give us that sense of unease and keep our mm -hmm. curiosity peaked at all the right moments. Um, for example, the the scene where uh, Robert Pattinson's character murders or kills the bird, um, mm -hmm. so that begins us to give us a tiny little glimpse of like. There's something about this character that is cap one capable of that, but two, beginning to lose that patience and um, lose his cool a little bit in those moments. Uh, there's some weird stuff with the light and William Defoe's character like sleeping up there. I don't think he's wearing much clothes. Like strange. <laughs> like there's these weird, weird things that begin to unfold that I think keep that momentum high as well. If we were literally just doing life as normal with them, um, also would be. <laughs> very uninteresting <laughs> so that pushes pushes us forward and you see that the little breadcrumbs that they kind of sprinkle in the in the first half really explode mm -hmm. in the second half because you know Robert Pattinson is so so intrigued by the light and he wants the light and he wants to be able to do that but Willem Dafoe is like no I'm not gonna let you do that mm -hmm. and we see that really explode in the second half where he does become more violent and more um I don't know passionate in his search for the light and his desire to control it instead mm -hmm. of being controlled by Willem Dafoe mm -hmm. you're right it's a good setup because it makes his actions well understandable is the wrong word but um it gives it gives enough weight to when he finally does explode. Mm -hmm. You've seen him be so oppressed and shot down by William Defoe over and over and over again um, that it, it makes sense when he begins to rebel and you know things things go down. Um, <laughs> I guess mm, I'm trying to think if we spoiled anything yet. I guess it's too late for spoilers. I don't know. Did we spoil anything? I feel like we've just said that they've gone crazy. <laughs> okay. We should have a spoiler alert, I guess. We'll <laughs> insert it now because who knows uh, when we'll slip something out. So if you haven't seen The Lighthouse yet, uh, we are now entering spoiler territory. So I'm curious kind of to zoom out a little bit. What was your read or interpretation of this film, what it's trying to convey, Kind of what did you take away from it? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think I was I was really focused on um, kind of just what what happens to people when they are in a in an isolated environment um, and kind of like pushed to their limits. You know, we we see. Um, the, the veneer of Robert Pattinson's character really start to fall throughout the course of the film. And, you know, we unearth little things about him along the way so that that perfect personality that, that he constructed in the beginning is completely gone by the end of the film. And we really see 
um, what happens to a person when they are, when they're put in those kind of conditions and just drove absolutely mad. Mm. Yeah. And that, that is very related to this current, uh, quarantine orders mm-hmm. that we have now. Um, people are really beginning to feel antsy and restless. And, um, I read an article the other day that, um, violence, domestic abuse, murder rates in cities particularly are much higher than they used to be in previous months. Like it's, it's unnatural for us to be isolated and, um, cooped up for this long. And you know, the unique difference between us in quarantine and these, these two guys on this Island is that we have through technology, um, Mm -hmm connection into the outside world we can read about how people are doing and connect with them through facetime and zoom um there's still some semblance of connection to the outside world but for these two characters they are literally entirely isolated with nothing else but their current context and each other and that is a i don't even think we have the capability to understand or sympathize with what that's like because we are so well connected and technology has enabled so much for us now. Yeah. It's a really like terrifying premise, this idea Mm -hmm. that, you know, we're going to be isolated on this Island and nobody else is around. And, you know, the other part is they didn't know each other either. So if it was like, okay, Jen and I are going to go, we're going to be stuck on an (laughs) Island for a month. Like, okay, like we know each other, it would yes. be fine. But man, to to be going into a situation like that with a person that you do not know, who you have to trust with your life in order to keep this whole thing running so that others will be able to live. And, you know, it it's just, man, that's a terrifying thought to mm-hmm. be completely cut off from the outside world and not knowing who you're going to be saddled with. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, forced to survive and work together in ways that are also um, usually pretty unnatural as well. Yeah. Um, this is a great segue into uh, what one of the comments that my dad had at the very, very start of the film, um, which, which we could talk about the opening because it isn't clear what their dynamic with each other is. And through just very sh- short couple of lines in that first dinner conversation, that dynamic between the two of them is established and I thought that was very effective it's really good setup um through really showing and not telling us Mm -hmm. how they are interacting with each other but my dad made the comment like 15 minutes in like out of frustration like why can't they just work together like they're so (laughs) together like why are they fighting so much but um I think uh one of the the things that I interpreted or took away from this film was the the way that power dynamics really touch on um, these desires and um, tendencies of human nature. I mean, there's this this constant um, power dynamic for the first half of the film where William Defoe is like over and over again, day by day, berating uh, Robert Pattinson's character, saying that he's not doing a good job and he's getting back to work and like, there's this rebellious spirit in us as humans, I think, that just don't want to be told what to do and what we can't have when we want to have, like getting to see the light, right? Um, and you see that shift by the end of the film. There's a specific shot where um, Robert Pattinson is, is standing over William Defoe's body that he just beat up and the light is like hitting his his uh, arms and he's got this like really menacing stance and that power dynamic has now completely shifted. Um, and so I think you just see through this film, this, this prideful desire for power and for control that I think is, is, is pretty true of human nature. Yeah. Yeah. You, you see that in full force with these two. Mm. Um, and I was, I was so interested in, like, I wanted to know more about Willem Dafoe's character and, like, how he kind of became to be who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just, just because he's such a, a strange character. And, you know, to be so 
um, forceful and gruff and this is how it is and I am in charge and you know the rules be damned this is my <laughs> island I do it my way like he was just he was so so fascinating to me um, but yeah he he really did lord it over Robert Pattinson and man he Willem Dafoe didn't know what was coming no. <laughs> he, was, he wasn't ready he couldn't push around um, Robert Pattinson's character like he could the the previous lighthouse keeper. No, yeah, it's that that shift is is so dramatic that um, you know by the end of the film, Robert Pattinson's character is is has has William Defoe like ch- um, chained by a rope and being told to bark like a dog. Yeah. Like it is so um, demeaning and dehumanizing, but. It, it really goes to show that because Robert Pattinson had gone through what we expect maybe weeks of being pushed down mm-hmm. over and over and over again, that has led to him being able to be so inhumane to his, um, what's the word I'm looking for? His overseer, you know, that, that mm-hmm. his, his ability to be that um, rough with him, I think is, has stems deeply from his experiences being in the opposite position being pushed down over and over and over again. That was one of those scenes that I was, I don't know. I was kind of like confused by because, because like Willem Dafoe had been such a, a, I don't know, appropriate adversary for Robert Pattinson the whole time that like his downfall felt so out of the blue to me. I don't know. I I struggled to to follow how in one scene Willem Dafoe can be like lording it over Robert Pattinson and and seeming to to have the upper hand that will never ever change and then in the next scene he is um crawling on the ground like a dog and walking into his own grave. And mm-hmm. I don't know. That that shift was so quick that I I really struggled with that one. I think that was one of the few moments in the movie where I was like, Meh, I, I wish that I would have had a little bit more mm. uh, for him to get there. Yeah, interesting, because I, I part of me wondered if he was maybe playing along so that it sets it up for, I think, the next scene where he comes back and he's like, my light! Um, when Robert Pattinson is going up to the to get the key or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a scene right after that where we think that he's uh, dead in his grave having been buried alive, but he actually comes back for a moment and then that's when he's finally killed with that um, mm, axe. Yeah. So that was my, maybe like my guess or my understanding, but I had the same question. Like, why isn't he fighting back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then when he did come at Robert Pattinson with the axe, he didn't try to strike a lethal blow. Like he mm-hmm. just, he went for the he, shoulder. Yeah, he went for his shoulder. And so I didn't know if that was like an attempt at mercy from Willem Dafoe. Like maybe, you know, the only way that he knows how to manage somebody is to be like demeaning to them, but mm-hmm. he's not a heartless killer. Um, or if he just was. I don't know. He was just off with his balance. So I, I don't know. That was also like a weird, a weird moment that I also wasn't quite sure how that happened or Mm -hmm. if there was supposed to be a deeper meaning with him just going for the shoulder instead of actually trying to murder Robert Pattinson. Mm, Yeah. That's an interesting question. I wonder if it has to do with the, the intimacy and like kind of the, the, they have a complicated relationship it, it because mm-hmm. it, it isn't fully combative and um, violent throughout the entire film. They're not, they're not like arch enemies of each other. They swing constantly back and forth between this aggressive behavior with each other to this, these moments of real tenderness and intimacy together. And so I wonder if there was like a bit of that at play that, that maybe the source of that mercy as well, because you're right. It, from a survival perspective, it doesn't make logical sense. 
this guy tried to bury you alive. Yeah. <laughs> if you got your shot, like you should take it. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> um, he's not going to hesitate with you. Yeah. And even in that scene when he was being buried alive and he's still like shouting these, oh my these gosh, lines. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder like, why isn't he getting up and fighting and, and like trying to survive? And I, I wondered in that moment if there was this just like, um, this kind of like resolute him just giving up and kind of letting himself mm -hmm. go. Um, but I was later told otherwise when he comes and says, my light. <laughs> yeah. That, lots of more questions there. And it also made me question like, cause for the whole movie I was thinking like, okay, Willem Dafoe's character is a complete nut job and he killed the previous lightkeeper. And when he didn't kill Robert Pattinson, it also made me question, okay, did he not kill the previous lightkeeper? So mm -hmm. then what happened to him? So like going with the whole theme of the film, uh, it really did create so many more questions than answers. Mm. Yeah. That mystery is still unsolved. Mm -hmm. And it's a mystery, not about like, external forces is it a mysterious island is it a haunted lighthouse it's mysteries about people which are always infinitely more complex than any other mystery about a thing that mm -hmm. we could possibly drum up mm -hmm. yeah that's true it's mystery too about their past and um, how their past have shaped their reactions in this context um especially with rapper pattinson's character like the, you see that there's this guilt that he's carrying, um, this burden mm -hmm. from his previous job, the story of him taking on um, the name Ephraim Winslow, which is this this man that I, what it seemed like was that he wasn't able to save, um, that he felt this responsibility for. And so like there's this this dimension of guilt playing into his his actions and his reactions um, to William Defoe throughout this entire movie that is also still like gives you some clues, but still not fully understood by the end. And if he had such guilt over the death of um, uh, Winslow, like mm -hmm. how would he react, you know, in, I don't know, however long it would take him to actually get off the Island knowing mm -hmm. that he murdered Willem Dafoe's character. So I don't know. It's also interesting to think like, where might he go from there? Like, would he just keep descending into madness or would he eventually come to his senses and realize what he had done? Mm. Like, where is the end for him? Or is yeah. this just a literal negative feedback loop, a positive yeah. feedback loop, sorry, spiral into, Yeah. I don't know. He hallucinates <laughs> some crazy shit in this movie. So <laughs> Yes, he does. Who could say? Yeah, my other thought while watching was like, okay, is the water laced with something? Like, <laughs> is the water causing you to hallucinate? Because this is not normal, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, one of the other things that I, I think this film may be trying to convey, or at least is what I, I interpreted, is both William Defoe and Robert Pattinson's um, characters' obsessions with the light. Mm -hmm. I think there's just lots of interesting um, connotations of just the word the light in general, which is really fascinating. But the that getting to be close to the light is the object of both of their desires. And Yet for both of them, they they reach that end, and it it's empty. Like there's, it's ju it's just a light, you know. And so, um, specifically in Robert Pattinson's obsession with it, it doesn't, it's not ground. It just doesn't make any sense. But I think it's a interesting portrayal of like what happens when we're swayed by the things around us, or they influence and shape our desires that may end up really being empty. Um, and the way that, you know, culture really shapes our desires and promises us things or ignites these desires for things that we may not actually have 
naturally wanted, but for whatever reason we find ourselves pining after now. Um, and I think the, the film at the end, like with him getting to the light with that really um, horrifying shot of him screaming, mm-hmm. I think it's just a fascinating picture of like he, he makes it there to the end and it's still, it's, it doesn't fulfill, I think, the, the promises or the things that he was hoping it, it would do for him. And the fact that this is a a black and white film that is so heavily focused on these two characters searching for the light Mm. is so fascinating to me. Like, um, I wrote down that this is a very different black and white film than I've (laughs) seen before. Just because so much of it was so dark. Like, you're, you're with Robert Pattinson's character and it's mostly dark and it's kind of hard to make out exactly what's going on in some scenes and then you switch over to the the Willem Dafoe scenes when he's with the light and it's so blindingly bright that it's difficult to see what's going on mm-hmm. so just the the contrast of their two positions throughout the film even um I don't know the way that they're portrayed is is very interesting. You mm-hmm. see that stark contrast between the darkness and the light mm-hmm. all throughout. Yeah, heck, we as the viewers also want the light too. Like, get me there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the object of my desire watching this movie as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, help me see what's going on, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really fascinating. There's just, just like this, uh, this uh, almost spell-like quality that the light has on both of them. Um, It's just fascinating. Yeah. Okay. What else really stood out to you about this film? Um, I, I was very intrigued that this is categorized as a horror movie (laughs) um, because I, Like, I I see why they would call it a horror, but I wouldn't, I don't know, that wouldn't be my first choice. So then I started thinking through, like, how would I actually classify this? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's dramatic, but I, it doesn't cleanly fit into the drama category either. Um, The director has called it a black comedy, uh, which that's clearly not like a, a genre that we have today. Um, so this is really making me wonder, like, mm. do we not have enough genres for what we're actually doing? You know, like, we we keep having these interesting films that don't cleanly fit into any one category. So they end up kind of being, like, mistyped. I, yeah. I feel the same way about Mother. Like, <laughs> I, I get why they called it a horror movie, but I don't think that it was actually like a horror film, but I don't know how I would call it. So Mm. I don't know. It was just, it was interesting to think about another film that doesn't cleanly fit into anything. Interesting. Yeah. Because it does set up uh, certain expectations of what we are waiting to Mm -hmm. see happen. And, um, you know, the normal stereotypes of a horror film, which is that there's some sort of, um, supernatural spirit there's some Mm -hmm. sort of mystery and so maybe that's why we were also too expecting there to be more versus if this is a drama um you know all of those strange horror horror horror-esque pieces would also be more surprising for us because we weren't expecting them from a drama um you're right we need we need more colors to paint with here and then i wonder like if we had maybe more more specific genres uh, would it be easier to find a market for a movie like this? You know, like, I, I feel like if you were looking for a true horror movie and you went into the lighthouse, you would walk away disappointed mm-hmm. because you wouldn't get that traditional horror vibe. So that could also help from, like, a business standpoint of if you're able to more clearly classify a film like this, maybe you could more easily find an appropriate audience to connect with the work. Mm. It's interesting, especially in the context of these films that are very creative and new and fresh. I mean, like inherently a genre, films fit into certain genres because they check certain boxes of Mm -hmm. um, common types of characters or moods or tones. And for the ones that are really different and just new and creative and things that we haven't seen before, 
you're right. It's it inherently can't fit into a genre because it it is its own genre in, in and of itself. So we should have like a a genreless genre. <laughs> it's like that it's like the interesting. <laughs> it's like the island of misfit toys, but in a good way. <laughs> all the non-genre films will just fit. Yeah. Just all go there. Everything yeah, exactly. from lighthearted things to <laughs> mother to the lighthouse. I like it. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> or, okay, well, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but or I'm imagining like a way to have, okay, so in a painting, right, we have our, our color palette and we can paint with like certain hex values of like the red RGB values and certain greens. Like what if we had sliders? This is not viable. But oh, what if we had sliders okay. for like, this is yeah. probably like 10% horror, 70% drama, mm. 60%, 20% humor. It's probably a little too granular and a little too psychotic for this, but that's a more oh accurate gosh. representation yeah. of what actually is happening because it's like, we're taking gradients of all these different genres and mixing them together. Yeah, I love that idea. Because then you can, because there are so many times when I'm like, okay, I want to watch a movie that's like 40% humor, you know, 30% mystery and <laughs> whatever's left, violence. Like, you know, like, so you can, you can, okay, I'm going to tailor this. This is kind of what I'm looking for. These are the movies that fit into this specific category mm -hmm. that I'm wanting. <laughs> Except I don't think people are as like anal retentive about genre as yeah, maybe we not. are. <laughs> <laughs> but it does matter for when it comes to like award season, specifically like yeah. for the Golden Globes, like things that fit into the comedy musical category versus the drama category like what are we distinguishing those by mm -hmm. yeah if you have a drama that has a whole bunch of humor in it but it's not really a comedy like which category does it fall into well and dramedies are the are a thing these days mm -hmm. so like what do you do with that where it's kind of equal parts comedy and and drama yeah. where does that fall yeah yeah, it's it's weird. Inherently, we've taken like a, a a subjective art form and tried to like put bars and categories into it, which doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's always problematic when we try to do that. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting thought exercise, though. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that one. <laughs> I mean, speaking of humor, this. There were some moments in here that were very funny that I was very surprised by, and they came at the oddest of moments. So um, <laughs> that was kind of interesting to discover, very unexpected. I think a lot of that it tended to be tied to the screenplay and the script specifically. There are some really great lines in this movie. Yeah, and, and just the, the relationship between those two actors just <laughs> – made it even more funny and I don't know to me the fact that Willem Dafoe's character was this like gruff angry like pirate kind of guy uh -huh. but at the same time he was like would randomly go on these soliloquies and I don't know like recite sonnets and all of this like very like theatrical language that's very proper um while at the same time being just this Ruffles Sea Dog was just such a humorous mixture for me yeah. that I I was so pleased anytime he was on screen. <laughs> and he would go on and on yes. and on and it was really funny in those moments where um Robert Pattinson's character would be like you just, just talk all the time like it's so <laughs> annoying and it's it's true I bet it would be super frustrating and annoying to just constantly be around his his verses and phrases over and over again. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That would have been super frustrating, but man, I was here for it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So, and, and they went for so much longer than they normally would. Like yeah. there were multiple times throughout the film where I was like, okay, and now we're going to cut away. Nope. We're not. We're going to keep going. Okay. And now we're going to, nope, we're not. Okay. <laughs> we're going to, okay. We're, we're in it to win it. All right. Please keep yep. going. Yep. yep. <laughs> Exactly. 
he kept going. Which just kind of like added to the the discomfort. And I don't know, maybe that helped build a tiny ounce of empathy with Robert Pattinson's character because we were also trapped in that, you know, monologue that <laughs> Robert Pattinson for sure didn't want to be in. Um, so maybe that that also went a long way in kind of building the uh, the claustrophobia and the, mm. the isolation of the island. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it also helps um, because he didn't speak in the the English that we know and use regularly to today. It helped create a greater sense of atmosphere um, for this island, this strange island somewhere off the coast of New England. Um, it made this feel almost somewhat fairy tale esque and mystical and magical, which I think was also very effective for creating creating a world for us to be in. Yes, and how everything fit together to create not only a, a mystical world but also a menacing world. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have the 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 almost rhythmic blowing of that foghorn. Yeah. You have this this sinister music that is kind of the undertone for the whole film, even while they're doing these like seemingly mundane tasks. Um, you still know that there is there is some sort of darkness or something sinister about what's mm-hmm. going on. You're just not sure where that's coming from yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that foghorn is its own character in and of itself. Yes. It is <laughs> deserves <laughs> deserves a nomination. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be like they've got to have used that very intentionally. That was one of the things that I had thought briefly while watching this film. I would love to go back and just see when does that foghorn happen, and is there some sort of pattern or correlation with a a moment that may be significant or the foreboding of the next scene? You know what I mean? They're mm. they were used in such specific moments that I couldn't help but wonder if there was a, a pattern or intentionality there. Yeah, I, I would, I would think so. I, for me, there, there was the foghorn and then throughout, um, there were, you would hear like the clocks ticking and mm-hmm. both of those for me kind of like acted like a metronome throughout the movie. So I was able, it, it kind of like signaled like the passage of time Um, Mm. but it was also not helpful because it's the same sound over and over and over again. So (laughs) that you, you know, time has passed, but you don't know how much. So while it's kind of grounding, it's also simultaneously disorienting, Mm. which is really impressive to have that combination. Interesting. Yeah. You almost can get lost in, in it because it, yeah, it's the same every time as you've mentioned and, and you're like, which it's kind of like when you're measuring um, cups of flour when you're baking. You're like, wait, was that four or was that five? Like, I don't remember anymore because there's just been so many of them and it's the same repetitiveness. Um, yeah, I could see that. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we should talk about the cinematography, huh? Mm, yes. Oh, man. I I kept had a reoccurring thought throughout watching this movie, which is like, what would this look like if it were in color? Oh my like, gosh, how me would too. This film be different. Like I, I, I could. I was trying to imagine it, and they. He's really Robert Eggers has really created this world that feels like it's from the pages of some, from old some old fairy tale of these two men uh, stranded on an island somewhere that it's so far from reality, um, that I think really making it in color would have taken away from that mysticism mm-hmm. and that that sinisterness of this movie yeah because I I feel like a lot of the uh the black and white films that I've watched are are really more of a grayscale, and you see you can tell like okay people are wearing different colors or there's different colors in the in the scenery and you know you can kind of differentiate how things might have looked but with the lighthouse, so much of it didn't feel like grayscale, but it felt like legitimate, like you're either black or you're white. And there was very little kind of in, in, in between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which you're right, it did it did feel like, okay, we discovered this like old newspaper clipping from, mm-hmm. you know, the 1890s. And, you know, it's just a, a shot of these two men slowly going insane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was such a stark contrast between the two colors, which really just accentuated, I think, everything else about the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it made the light feel truly yeah. feel that much more desirable and you can kind of relate with the characters for wanting to be close to it because everything else was so so dark. I think mm-hmm. I I also had a thought briefly around really if if this was a stormy um day on this coast with this old lighthouse. I mean, the landscape itself is generally a lot more grayscale as well so Mm -hmm. that that leap from like color to black and white for this movie may have been much smaller than for like a drama about being in the city and um, seeing the advertisements in the store shop windows um really being on the coast of new england with the gray ocean and the waves crashing in this faded lighthouse um the color palette right, may truly have been very close to being gray. Yeah, that, that's very true. But I, I think even if it was close, it still wouldn't have been the nearly the same if we had had those little hints of color in there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then the um, aspect ratio for this yes. film, a very unique factor. Yes. I don't know that I've ever watched a film with that aspect ratio before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about uh, I don't I would need to do a little bit more research on this film to understand its release strategy. Um, I don't remember seeing it listed in at least the theaters near me in Seattle at the time. Um, did you see them for Dallas? Yeah, I I, I think it it was playing here. Um, yeah, cause I w- I was really interested by it just because of the, uh, the artwork. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I just never got around to seeing it, but I think it was playing at a few theaters here. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine watching this film in, on a screen that is made to be like a wide, wide shot view and seeing it square? Like there would be so much more black space on either side Mm -hmm. than it is on my um, TV at home or on my computer that I think it would have made it seem even more claustrophobic than it already did for you and I's viewing viewing experience. Yeah, I had the same thought. (laughs) Like, man, I wish I could go back in time and have seen this when it was playing in theaters. But um, I, because I knew going into this that it was going to be like virtually square. Um, and I had heard some people kind of like mention that and, and talk about how like that wasn't effective for them. And they wish that uh, they wouldn't have made that creative choice. But for me, it, it really worked. It, it made it so much more like visually interesting for me and really, um, it really helped me feel that claustrophobia and, mm-hmm. and feel, I don't know, more isolated and, and trapped because there was so much blank space that could have been used. Um, I thought that it was a really effective choice and also just such a, a ballsy choice to make uh, from a technical perspective. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole um, framing of shots have to be thought so differently um, because you lose the space to show and um, to frame things differently, that there's probably mm-hmm. so much more intentionality um, that he would he would have needed to put in uh, to frame this film. I agree. I I didn't find it um, to take away from the film at all. I think it added to the feeling of of being stuck and being caught and being trapped. But I, I surprisingly as well expected to be more aware of the fact that it was square throughout. And I, I found myself maybe just so engrossed and trying to figure out what the hell was happening on screen <laughs> that it would fade in and out of my attention that we were uh, watching this film on a different aspect ratio. 
Yeah, I was aware of it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes so sense. I, would I also, that. yeah, I also do wonder if if the fact that there were such large like black bars on either side of the of the action, if that made it feel more dark maybe than it actually was. Like oh, had I watched it on like a square device, I wonder if if it would have seemed as dark and sinister. Uh, as it did on my TV that's made for, you know, widescreen and normal aspect ratio. That's a really interesting thought. Yeah. I think probably that's very much the case. I think there there might also be as well this this feeling of like, because there are those two black bars on either side of the action, that there's a heightened maybe anxiety or... or mm awareness of like there's things that are maybe happening on either side that I can't see um the same the same way that when we walk into a dark room there's a sense of like I can't see what's happening and I don't know what could be there you know um Mm, maybe yeah there's a little little bit of that I don't know yeah it adds more mystery because Mm -hmm. you're you're probably more aware yeah I think you're right you're more aware of what of what is not being on screen and what you can't see and since you're kind of dropped into this this mysterious setting with these mysterious people and you're trying to figure out what the mystery is, um, yeah, I think it, it probably does subconsciously add to the anxiety and the, the wonder of, hmm, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, it's probably all pretty subconscious too. Yeah. Interesting. all right anything else that we haven't covered yet that we should we should give a shout out to or mention how were both willem dafoe and robert pattinson not nominated for an oscar for this movie i know (laughs) the acting was fantastic oh my gosh i was particularly impressed by robert pattinson i have to be honest He's graduated since his uh, Twilight days. See, yeah, I was I was so happy for him yeah. during this movie, uh, which is weird to feel happy for him during a movie where he's just going crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, he is such a talented actor, and I feel like the the stain of Twilight has kind yeah. of like throughout his career. So I was just I was really excited to see him kind of being able to be in a role where he has to fully commit to and show just how phenomenal he is at his craft. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was really good. And just, I, I can watch crazy Willem Dafoe just all day long. Like I'm, I'm here for it. And, and those two together were just phenomenal. And I'm, I'm once again, angry at the Academy because both of them should have gotten nominations mm-hmm. and they did not <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. And I think the fact that this potentially just didn't get as much attention and media and press probably contributed to the fact that maybe like just less people saw it from the Academy mm-hmm. to really yeah. factor it in. And I think like the the whole genre thing also plays into it because mm-hmm. like horror films are not included in the Academy often and they're not recognized a lot yeah. of the times, even though you know, more and more, some of these films are actually really, really phenomenal and deserve to have that critic recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really think that it's a shame that neither one of them got the nomination, but both of them very, very much deserved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Robert Pattinson was in that film, I think last, from last year, or maybe the previous year called High Life. It's like the sci-fi fantasy drama um and I'm far more intrigued about that film now because I'm, I'm curious to see him in more things um mm-hmm. it really was fantastic yeah he he's a shockingly good actor it just it sucks that he didn't get you know he's known for Twilight which yep. is just trash <laughs> yeah so I man I'm I'm excited to see what we get from him you know in the coming years because I'm sure he'll be able to to give us some really, really good performances like this one in the future. It'll be a redemptive story arc. Yes, it for will his be. Career journey. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
All right, well, this was our review of The Lighthouse. It is available on Amazon Prime, if you're a Prime member for streaming right now. Um, a really, really riveting film and lots to chew on and ruminate on afterwards. So um, we recommend seeing this film. We're curious your interpretations of this. There's probably a million ways to see this film and what it's trying to convey. So we're intrigued to hear your thoughts. Um, definitely a great distraction during this quarantine time. You can quarantine yourself with Robert Pattinson and William Dafoe together <laughs> on a remote island off the coast of New England. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, we hope you guys are staying safe, staying sane, um, really keeping you and your family, your friends healthy. And uh, we'll see you soon.